one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. <coughs> well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one. And there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. <coughs> Let's pray. Lord, as we come to your word, we pray that we would understand it and that you would help us as we seek to apply it to ourselves. Watch over us and protect us and guide us and speak to us so that we may know your presence in your name. Amen. Now, the previous parts of this chapter that we've been looking at are Jesus being questioned, and his questioning continues. In fact, it's even uh, considered to be a debate because the teachers of the law came and they heard them debating. He heard Jesus discussing, debating, arguing with the Sadducees and with the Pharisees and with the Herodians. And one of them comes and asks uh, a very important question of all the commandments, which is the most important. He's asking Jesus to summarize things in almost in one sentence. I don't know if you've ever been asked to summarize something in one sentence. That's actually very difficult for me to do. Uh, you'd have very short sermons if I could do that. But I summarize it in one sentence, then unpack it for you. But if you had to summarize it in one sentence, if you had to express your feelings about someone in one sentence on a card, for example, a Valentine's card, how would you do it? Or if you had to write a letter to a newspaper, how would you be succinct and clear? Or even worse, if you had to tweet... Now, if you don't know what tweeting is and twittering is, get with it. No. <laughs> um, if you've got a tweet, tweeting, I, I, was, I started tweeting for Solas, and uh, I thought, not 140 words, but 140 characters, including the gaps. So, I mean, what can you say in 140 characters? Actually, you can say quite a lot. <laughs> but if you had to summarize that, how would you be succinct and clear how would you describe the Christian faith? How would you describe your faith in one sentence? The Pharisees were good at interpreting the laws, and they were good at adding to them. They also had an ongoing competition to summarize what was important. They considered that in the Bible there were 600, or in the Old Testament, there were 613 laws, 365 negative, and for those of you who are mathematicians, you will then have worked out that it's 248 positive. <coughs> to that, they added their interpretation, the Talmud, of each one of those, and you could have massive volumes. But in the Bible itself, you will find summaries of the laws of Moses. Psalm 15 has 11, Psalm 33 has 6, 
Or Micah 6, verse 8, He has showed you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's three. And that's a, if you're reading the Bible, that's a standard way that these things occur in the Old Testament and here in this passage. Because Jesus answers the question quoting what's called the Shema, the Jewish creed which was recited every day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Shema is just the Hebrew word for, for hearing. And uh, this particular command that was uh, recited, and this statement was recited by Jewish people every single day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It was an amalgam of Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 to 9, and Deuteronomy 9, verses 13 to 21, and Numbers 15, verses 37 to 41. <coughs> and that little law was put on a tiny little bit of paper. It's a bit like um, these... You go to a Chinese restaurant and you get a fortune cookie. Now, I'm not comparing the law of God to a fortune cookie, but you, it, you know, the kind of thing that you crack open and there's a little bit in about you're going to have a wonderful day or you're going to make a million or something rubbish like that uh, that people still believe in. But it was written down on a tiny parchment and it was placed in what were called the phylacteries, which were little leather boxes that if you go to a city where there are a lot of Orthodox Jewish people like Jerusalem, like London, like Chicago, then you will, or, or New York, you'll find Orthodox Jewish people will sometimes wear this uh, little box on their forehead or wrapped around their wrist. Or they also use what's called the mezuzah, which was a little cylinder box, and it was attached to the door at the entrance of every Jewish home and in the most Orthodox at every door within it. So, if you were a, a, a Jewish child, this was one thing that you would know inside out. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is like it. Love your neighbors yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. And that's it. That's a summary of the Christian faith as taught by Christ as taught in the Old Testament, as taught in the New Testament. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the summary. You can go home. No. I want to unpack it a little bit and just explain it a little bit, because the whole of the Bible does that. It's unpacking that, and it's explaining that. First of all, let's just talk about loving God, what that actually means. The idols of the nations were bound by fear. Israel was being taught that God was love and that the appropriate response to him was love. <coughs> I was trying to think how best to illustrate this in a kind of contemporary way, and I think the way I want to do it is this. You are not going to draw a cartoon of Muhammad, and the courier is not going to publish it. Why? Because the Muslims will be extremely upset at that, because they profess to love their God, and they think that that is blasphemous. 
There are Christians who think in this way, where they say that what we do as Christians, you know, we should maybe uh, have that similar kind of reaction. They, we respond <coughs> to the secularists who say that all religions are essentially the same and a plague be on us all. All religions cause people to be irrational and cause good people to do bad things. But that's not true. To a Muslim, the reason they're so against these cartoons is that Muhammad, as, they, uh, as the Quran puts it, is more important than our mother and father. They, inverted commas, love him and therefore respond with such extreme reactions. Now, there are Christians who kind of understand that. We object to the way that our God is often portrayed. Um, for example, when there was the Jerry Springer show went around theaters on which mocked and blasphemed Jesus Christ. There were Christians who stood outside and picketed, and there were Christians who made the point that they would never do this with Mohammed. Some people suggest if we really love God, then we too would react in the same way. And it's only because we're weak and because of our lack of love of God that we are so ineffective. Now, I want to suggest that Jesus is teaching actually something a lot more radical and a lot deeper than that. <coughs> we don't kill for our faith, and we don't hate for our faith, because ultimately that is not the love of God. That is fear and insecurity and ultimately unbelief. God does not need us to kill for Him, and He does not want us to hate for him. I think that when the Bible said that the primary commandment, the main commandment as Jesus enforced it or Jesus uh, retaught it, was to love God, to us that just sounds kind of, yeah, that's right. But it also sounds just a little bit twee. We, we don't think about how radical and how powerful that teaching was and that teaching continues to be. We've demeaned the meaning of the word love. The notion of loving God is uh, one that we assume, but we don't often think about. But when you do think about it, you will realize that much of religion and much of our attitude towards God is one of the wrong kind of fear. There's a right fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, says Proverbs. But there is a wrong kind of fear. There is a fear that comes from insecurity and ultimately unbelief. Now, let me give you an example of this from a kind of human analogy. Let us say that you are married to somebody, and let's say, let's say um, you're a woman married to a man, and you say that you love your husband. But when your husband goes away, you're absolutely terrified that he might not come back to you. So you want him to have his phone with him at all times. You want to be able to contact him at any time, and you do. And you are in, in, in incredibly insistent and possessive. Do it the other way around, a man who's concerned about his wife. Is that because you love them so much, or is that because you're, you're afraid, afraid that you might lose them? Is that because you're secure in your relationship and in your love, or is it because you're insecure? I think that a lot of us in our relationship with God have a relationship which really isn't one of love. 
It's one in which we, uh, in the Islamic concept of God, Islam, of course, means submission, and the Islamic concept of God, it is primarily one of fear. We fear God. We do, and it's a, it's a fear that, that drives people to do things that I think does stem out of a fundamental insecurity. I don't believe that in Islamic theology it is possible to, to have an assurance of the love of God. In fact, there are 99 names for Allah, and not one of them is love. The nearest you get is Allah the Merciful. Now, I believe that there are many Christians who, in our attitude towards God, it's a little bit like that. Doug Copeland has a great line, in fact, two of his books, uh, in a book he wrote 10 years ago, and he's a bit like preachers who repeat sermons. His latest book I've just read is called One, and he has this line in it again. So it's obviously something that's, a, that's deep within him, and it's this, what is your greatest fear? That God exists, but doesn't care very much for human beings. And I think that that might be our greatest fear, that yes, there is a God, but why would He love me? And how can we love Him? Now, I would want to suggest to you that there are many people who profess to be Christians who do not love God. They believe there is a God, they associate Him with morality, but they are not wholeheartedly committed to God. They love their family, they love themselves, they love their country, but what does it mean to love God? And yet, that is the most important command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And let me just ask you, as I ask myself, just to back off a, a second and say, actually, who do we love? What do we love? Why do we love? Do we really love God? Is that our relationship with God? I suspect many of us even <coughs> who are evangelical Christians, we, we've actually lost that. We've lost, as, as Jesus says, our first love. It's become a system of routine, a system of duty, something about ourselves, or even perceptions of God which are true, but they're not love. We believe in God, and because we believe in Him, I hope we love Him, and we seek to reflect His nature, do what He says, and love Him and love our neighbors. Now, while that means that we are saddened and hurt by attacks and gross caricatures of our faith, we do not respond with fear, with hatred, and with anger. So, when someone comes on television and makes a mockery of Jesus Christ, I think our primary response is not, how dare you do that to me? I think our primary response is to be one of immense sorrow and immense sadness that someone whom we love is being defamed, is being uh, attacked, and also perhaps a sense of sorrow for the people who are doing it because they, they often do not know what they are actually doing. What then, how do we understand this, to love God? Certainly there is affection. We love Him because He first loved us. Deuteronomy 6, I chose you, God says to Israel. Jesus says, I chose you. 
<coughs> the only way that we can love God is, our, as, is as a response, as a reaction to God's prior love to us. So, for example, if you're sitting here right now and you're thinking, okay, I want to be a Christian, I need to be a better Christian, I've got to go out and love God, and you try and make yourself love God, have you ever tried and made yourself love somebody? It's kind of really difficult. Um, it, it, love is, uh, it is action, that's true. But to try and make yourself love someone, that's a pretty difficult thing to do. And to try and make yourself love a God whom you do not know, that I think is impossible. I think you end up deluding yourself or you end up um, serving some kind of image or even idol. The only way for us to love God is as we are aware of His love for us, which is why we read God's Word. It's why we come to hear God's Word. It's why you're here this evening. You are here this evening, first of all, not to hear how you ought to live, but you are here to hear how much God loves you. Because once you grasp how much God loves you, and it's not just a cliche, and it's not just a poster, once you grasp that, then it will mean your response of love to Him is far deeper and far more profound than it would otherwise be. In other words, you can't work it up. It's why you need to hear about Jesus, it's why you need to see Jesus, and it's why you need to understand the gospel. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. It is a command because love is more than a feeling. Love also makes decisions and acts. But that list that's given there, it's just an incredible… when, when you think, yeah, 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 I love God, that's no problem. But, but do I? With all my heart… Emotion and will, the Hebrew word is one that describes not just how we feel, but our desires, what we're longing for. Really? Can I say, can you say, Lord, I love you with all my heart? Is it not really the case that what we do is we say, Lord, I love the idea of you, and I love the idea of loving you, and I love this, and I love that, and I want this, and I want that but we don't love Him with all our heart. The old hymn says, we never can prove the delights of His love until all on the altar we lay. You know, there are different kinds of love. Yeah, there are people who are mourning this week because uh, Steve Jobs died. Never met Steve Jobs, but they love what Steve Jobs produced, the iPhone and all the other stuff. And people will say things like, I love my iPhone. I've even said that. I even have a feeling of loss when I went for a Blackberry instead of an iPhone. I'm still recovering. I'm still in therapy. But, you know, we, we talk about love in that way, isn't it? That's, is that love? Well, it, it's certainly like. And it's certainly for a lot of people that the things that we can buy take possession of our hearts. So, yeah, I suspect that for some of us here, what you have for your phone, what you have in your homes, what you have for your car, 
You really do love it. There was a, a song by Queen, I'm in love with my car, got a feel for my automobile. I mean, it's just an awful line. But, um, there, I, I've met people who are basically in love with their car. You touch their car and it's the apple of their eye and they'll go absolutely nuts. Just a car. But it occupies a place within their lives and within their hearts. I think the way this idea of loving with all your heart, um, Steve and Claire are getting married on Friday, and they're getting married because, not because they're the perfect couple, though they are, but no, not because they're the perfect couple, but they're getting married because they are going to commit themselves to each other. Absolutely. It's not reserved. We've, in this country, and for a while, we're going to be I think, obsessed by or thinking about same-sex marriage. The concern that we have with that is not so much on the issue of homosexuality, it's on the attack on marriage itself. And people say, yeah, what do you expect to happen next? I'll tell you what's going to happen next. What happened in Mexico City this week? Mexico City have now introduced two-year marriages. You've done away with divorce. You get married for two years, and then you remarry if you want to continue it. That's absolutely crazy at one level, but it makes sense at another. I heard a comedian talking on the radio about it saying, that's great. That's just like you hire a TV for two years, and then you replace it with a new one. But that's the level at which people are getting in terms of marriage. When you're saying you love someone, you're not saying that you love them in the way that you might love a, a property or you, you might have a taste for something, or it's a conditional love, I love you as long as you continue like this or do this. When you're saying you love someone, you're, you're committing yourself totally to them. And when you say you love God, He's not like your iPhone. He's not like your car. He's something way, way more than that. And you pour yourself heart and soul into loving God. And I think that's why this commandment, though we look at it and go, yeah, yeah, I get that. I love God. And we sing about loving God. But I think this is the hardest commandment. I think it's, it's, it's the most wonderful thing when you do. It's the most wonderful thing when your heart is filled with the love of God and love for God. We have to love Him with all our heart. We have to love Him with all our soul. Spiritually, that is our, our very essence, our very inner being, everything that we are. It belongs to God, and we, we adore Him because of that. We have to love Him with all our mind, intellectually. Faith is not opposed to reason, and we are not the kind of Christians who say, well, my Christianity extends to the fact that uh, I'll go to church, I'll hear some good music, makes me feel good, makes me feel as though I love God, then I'll just get on with my life. No, you have to love God with your mind and with all your mind. And that is difficult because it means you have to think. It means you have to work things through. When you're reading the Bible, it's not always easy. It's amazing how many Christians, how we really, really struggle <coughs> with loving God with our mind. We, we go absolutely for the feeling. We go absolutely for the emotion. And we want God to do this. And we want God to give us this. But then, when the emotion is not there, when we don't feel the love of God, our minds have become lazy, 
and we don't think the love of God either. And it's, an, and it's a really important challenge to you, to all of us, to use our minds to love God. And that does require discipline, and it does require energy, as with the last one there, to love God with all your strength, materially with your body. When you watch the rugby, uh, these guys absolutely amaze me, the rugby players. You know, the, um, I've been watching two kinds of rugby players. I've been watching the ones who actually play rugby, and then on Celebrity MasterChef, the former England rugby captain. He's, turned, he's unbelievable, that guy. He's, like, he's built like a tank, and he's making these tiny wee things kind of dainty pastries and everything. He is quite a remarkable uh, character. But you see their bodies, and they're just kind of like all rippling muscle. Just make you feel ill, actually, if you're you're a man like me. But uh, they are, it says, the strength that is there. God has given us physical strength, but that physical strength is to be used for His glory. And we are to love Him with all of our strength. Now, that means that the hands that we have, the feet that we have, the, the, all the physical properties that we have are to be used to express our love to God. All our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength. In other words, it's the totality of what we are as a human being. There's a song that we sometimes sing, Lord, I give you my heart, Lord, I give you my soul. That's such a dangerous song to sing. Because I suspect when we sing it, we don't really think about what we're saying, and we don't really mean it. What if God was to take us seriously and say, okay, I accept the whole lot? It's mine. And you, oh, hang on, wait a minute. I didn't mean that. I didn't mean this. I didn't mean, I I meant, um, I'm going to love you, and you're going to give me this, and you're going to give me that. The Lord says, how much do you love me? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. It's a challenge. Second is love your neighbors. Jesus brings the two commandments together. The answer to religious fanaticism and those who would claim that their love of God causes them to kill others or to mistreat others is found in these two verses. If you love God, then you show that love by loving human beings. What does that mean? Now, I think you have to love God first. But what does that mean? Again means affection. It again means feeling. We are to love them as we love ourselves. It presupposes that we love ourselves, not in a narcissistic way, not in a, oh, I am wonderful type of way, but it presupposes that we treat others the way that we would want to be treated. Do to others as you would have them do to you. One rabbi commenting on this said, what you hate for yourself, do not do to your neighbor. This is the whole law. The rest is commentary. Go and learn. Jesus says more than that. He's saying, it's not just don't do to your neighbors what you wouldn't want done to yourself. It's not just the negative, but it is also the positive. What you want done for yourself, actually actively go out and do for others. If you've got a Bible, turn to 1 John 3, verse 11. It's on page 1227. (coughs) This is John's reinforcement of that. 
This is 1 John 3.11. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we've passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. Okay, fair enough. So what is love? Verse 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Stop and think. What is love? When you say love my brother, love my sister, what does that mean? It means be nice to them. It means help them in some way. It means be kind. All these things, yes. No. The standard that's given the bottom line is simply this. What Jesus did for us, we should be prepared to do for other people. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Who is our neighbor? Leviticus 19.18, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. The Pharisees interpreted this, this as being only Israelites or full proselyte converts. And that's why the man came to Jesus and asked him, who's my neighbor? And Jesus gave him the answer of the parable of the good Samaritan. Again, it's one of these cliched phrases that we go, yeah, that's nice. We like to hear that. I don't like it, David, when you give us a sermon about the wrath of God or hell or anything like that. It makes me feel really uncomfortable. Tell us about love. I'm telling you that this idea of love, this standard of love is far more uncomfortable than any teaching about God's anger, God's justice or hell, because it doesn't let us away with a single excuse. What is love? I died for you, you die for them. That's an understanding of the teaching. We are to… But, but who? Who are we to do that for? Well, our Christian brothers and sisters. Of course, many Christians avoid that very simply, because what many Christians have become is privatized, individualized, atomized lovers of God who are disconnected from any meaningful, deep, loving relationship. Sure, they go along at church, but we go along to church in the same way as we would go along to the cinema, the theater, or a shopping center. We go to get something. We go to walk away with something. We don't go to love. And you don't get too involved with people. Let's just keep moving. Let's just keep going on. My uh, mother worked for a company that was taken over by BP. And uh, I think it was called Britoil. And when it was taken over, she was offered an executive position. She was a nurse. But they offered her health and safety uh, officer and so on. 
And what I remember about that was the tremendous incentives they offered to her. They invited her on a private train, traveling across Scotland to have a meal and so on. They offered her this fantastic salary. They said to her, if you take up this post, then you need never worry again. Your husband need never worry. You have all the money that you want. The company will look after you. What was the catch? Well, there was a catch. The catch was, whenever BP said move, you moved. And they had a policy then of moving people around every five years. So go to Saudi Arabia, go to Saudi Arabia. You go to Africa, you go to Africa. Go to America, you go to America. Go to England, you go to England. Go to Scotland, you go to and so on. And uh, when she pointed out, well, they're settled in the community here, and the kids are going to school, and so on. She said, it doesn't matter. You can put your kids to private school. You can afford the boarding schools. You can afford all of that. Do you know what their policy was? It was very, very deliberate. Don't let anyone settle into a community too long. Let them owe everything to the company. And then we've got them. Now, I believe that the devil does the equivalent of that. Uh, by the way, needless to say, uh, she refused uh, because it was not worth it. I think that there are many people for whom the devil does that deal with you. Keep them moving. Keep them moving. Keep them going. Let them have their love for Jesus and their love for God. Let them listen to sermons, whether live or on the internet or as a download. Let them think of themselves as part of the worldwide church. But don't ever let them get into a position where any love that they have for other Christians is going to really cost in anything other than theory. And Jesus says, this is the greatest commandment. You love the Lord your God. You love your neighbor as yourself. It is to love his people. It is to love those who are around us. And for all of your days, you will be pleading with the Lord to give you the strength not only to understand what that means, but to be able to do it. But let me tell you this. We will turn this country upside down, not by having Christian political parties and Christian action groups and Christian media and Christian moans and groans about the state of the country and so on. We will turn this country upside down if we obey this very simple command. We love God wholeheartedly, and we love our neighbor as ourselves. Now, Jesus was impressed with this man, really impressed with the man's answer. Well said, teacher. You're right in saying that God is one and there's no other but him. Um, I, th- I love this idea of, I mean, what if this guy became a Christian and thought, who did I think I was telling Jesus what the right way was to be? But I love this. Jesus was impressed by this man's response. He saw that he'd answered wisely. He said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. Why? Because what you've just said is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. He recognized an important truth. It is not how you worship, the way in which you worship. It is not even the fact that you do worship, but it's the fact that you love God and you love your neighbor. 1 Samuel 15, 22, but Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. Hosea 6, verse 6, for I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. Jesus was standing in the temple when he said this, and he's looking around and he's saying, this is not enough. 
the temple is not enough. The Jews had been taught how important the temple was. Jesus says, no, no, it's not enough. And I think that's like us. I think that uh, we can be in this building, treat it as a kind of temple. We can have our forms of worship. We can have our Bible readings. We can have lots and lots of different things. But the Lord says it's not enough. That's not love. It's not enough. I don't want to hear these words. I don't want to be getting the the e-postcards saying that you love me. I want to see it. I want to know it. The man showed a certain openness and humility. I love that. And I love when we see in here people who come in and who are seeking, who have an open mind and a willingness to learn. He answered wisely as one who understood literally. But he wasn't there yet. He acknowledged that what Jesus said was true, but more than acknowledgement is needed. I don't think, in one sense, there's one of us who can say we've kept this commandment. Romans 3.10, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. You can go a long way in religion and not be saved. I've come to a maybe a somewhat startling conclusion. In fact, I got a, an email this afternoon from somebody who was president or concerning someone who was president of a Christian union and who now says he doesn't believe. And I've come across that in so many ways. And you know what I think is happening is this. I think there are people who go a long way in religion and yet they are not saved. We are not just to receive the doctrine of the Bible in our heads, but also in our hearts. It's not enough to stand outside. It's not enough to admire what you see through the door, through the window. Sometimes you have to enter in. Love makes decisions and love acts. The key question that you and I have to answer is, what do we love? What gets us out of bed in the morning? What motivates us? Is it the love of Christ, the love of ourself, the love of others, the love of material things? I think that uh, some of us lose the motivation. And even when we're Christians, our love has grown cold. And the greatest thing that we have is back to this greatest commandment, Lord, help me to love you more. Let me give you just one more incentive in this so that, please, you won't forget it. I've already mentioned that this took place in the temple. It took place just before Jesus was going to be crucified. And what Jesus is saying is this, is that Israel, the temple, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the Herodians, the Sadducees, the legal regulations, the burnt offerings, the sacrifices, not enough the politics, the religion, the church, the spirituality, the community, the money, not enough. None of it saves. What enables us to love God wholeheartedly is what Jesus did next. When he taught this, there was nobody who loved God with all their hearts, with all their soul, and with all their might. Nobody could do that. And yet, in Romans 5, we read this. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. 
Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope, and hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. I love this because it's the most extraordinary teaching it's Jesus saying to every single one of us, love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And you walk away, and if you've understood this at all, you will walk away saying, that's not me. I don't love God with all my heart, all, soul, all my soul, all my mind, all my strength. I don't. And I don't love my neighbor as myself. And I can't pretend to love my neighbor as myself. When you understand this in the depth and the power of its teaching, it is, in, in, in a sense, it's the most awful command in the whole of the Bible. And yet, Jesus, after he said this, went to the cross and died so that we could be forgiven, so that we could receive his Holy Spirit, so that we could get a new heart, so that we could love like this. God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. And you can understand that in two ways, and I think both ways are correct. One is, that God makes us aware of His love for us. But also, God stirs up within us a real love for Him. And for those of you who've ever experienced it, it's one of the most extraordinary things that will ever happen in your life. Psalm 116 says, I love the Lord because He heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. It is a wonderful thing when Steve and Claire stand here on Friday and they affirm their love for one another. That's a wonderful thing. There'll not be a dry eye in the house. It's just a great thing. For you to be able genuinely to say, I love the Lord, that they are the most profound words you will ever say in your life. Don't say them lightly, don't say them cheaply. Realize what it costs God and realize what it may cost you. You are giving him absolutely everything because he is worthy of it and because you cannot be in better hands. And there's a challenge. It's a simple challenge for us. If you play around with God, if you give God a little bit, but you don't love him, Sure, you'll hang around the church for a while. You'll be religious for a while. But other things will come in. Other things which will eat away and eat away and eat away until one day you'll wake up and you realize, I don't love God. I don't even believe in God. It's all gone. There's no room in your heart and therefore no room in your mind for God. None whatsoever. And heaven weeps and we are destroyed. I don't care what church you go to. I don't care your points of view about secondary matters. Do you know this? I'm not even sure that I could say I particularly care about all the things that upset you or upset me. Yeah, of course, it bothers me a bit. But the most, the thing that just, just hits home more and more is just simply do I love the Lord? And do you love the Lord? 
and pray, Lord, help me to really and truly love you and help me to really and truly love other people. That's Christianity. That's the gospel. It is uh, astonishingly simple, powerful, deep, and effective. Let's pray. You've been listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. That's www.stpeters-dundee.org.uk. For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, as well as Christian commentary on the latest current affairs in Scotland, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that's www.solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.